Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Linda Howry. And Linda and I have a very long history together, and our companies have a long history together. And I'd like to just jump in and share with you kind of a, a story. It was, um, it was Christmas time. It was, I think, like December 22nd of 2013. And it was one of those weeks where just uh, it was quiet at home. And I don't know if I was in the office that day or was having my calls forwarded, but I got a call from Linda, and she had just read my book, which I know many of you have. And if you haven't, well, maybe this will inspire you to go grab a copy. But what Linda said to me that day, as you recall, she said, hey, I just finished reading your book, which is how you were spending some time over the holiday, and I think you said something like, and I want to do everything in it. And that is where our story begins, and we will dive into that. So, I would just like to say, Linda, welcome. Thank you for what is now a six-year journey together. It's been so exciting to see the impact that you have had when you were at, uh, you know, Director of Marketing Communications of Demand Gen at Tyco, which later got acquired by Johnson Controls, and now working together in your role as Chief Marketing Officer, where you've uh, taken a new role and moved on. But I love talking about the work that we did uh, together. So thank you for joining me. How are you? Fine, and thank you for having me, David. And it has been a long journey, a, a really nice, fun journey. And you're right, that book inspired me to pick up the phone and call. I was actually on Christmas break, and I had just finished reading the book, and I thought, aha, I had an aha, aha moment, and uh, said, I need to talk to this guy. And and you called, and it was it was is interesting relationship. Some things I've never shared with you that I might as well do publicly now on the on the air is you. Well, one thing you said to me is, "Hey, we're talking to," and you mentioned a company, and they're a competitor of ours. And ironically, I talked to their CEO this morning today, um, and not not because I knew that we were talking, but we just had some other stuff to catch up. You know, it's it's a very close community, I would say. So I had some like awkward feelings about that always when you hear that one of your competitors. And, you know, many of us are friends with each other. And so it's kind of like a sports team where we compete by day, but certainly um, care about one another and want to help just the entire industry uh, elevate. So you would express that. I'm like, well, she really would be best served by my team. I felt that. And I remember flying out and we met, as you recall, for dinner the night before. We, um, We were meeting the team. And so we got together with you. And it was the first time we were meeting. And just like you're qualifying us, like, is this the right agency to work with on this major transformation that you were going to bring about, which we'll talk about? um, We were, of course, sizing you up like you do a client, like, okay, this is a pretty big undertaking. This company has not done really any digital marketing. Um, who is this person? Is she ready to lead and bring, and be an agent of change? I mean, if there's a if there's a title for this podcast, it's pretty pretty close to what it takes to be an agent of change, and that was you. And it was a great dinner, uh, and and the rest is history, which we'll which we'll talk about. So I just remember that almost like it was yesterday, but gosh, it was over over six years ago. And so proud of the work that you and Mia and the whole crew there have done and, and continue to work with us. So tell me. Um, and, and share with uh, folks tuning in just what was happening at, at Tyco back in that, in that day, because you guys were going through some incredible changes as an organization, as you know. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll add a little bit to uh, David's story. Um, it was not a slam dunk. I didn't know that I was going to go with Jaman Jan at the time. Uh, the other competitor who I had mentioned to David ha- came in and had the same opportunity to present to the organization and the in my team um, what they were capable of doing. So we we really thought long and hard about what kind of partner we were going to have. But my journey was sort of interesting. Um, I came to Tyco from a large software company, Citrix. And at Citrix, we were so ahead of the curve when it came to demand generation, marketing automation. Um, We had been using Marketo. Uh, We had already embarked on lead scoring and nurturing, and we were all the way up to predictive modeling. So um, that was, you know, to me, it was sort of what everyone did. And I got to Tyco, and it's interesting. you know, I learned two very important things at Citrix. One was that sales and marketing integration is key to the success of any demand generation program. And I never forgot that to this day. And also that, you know, demand generation, it's really a process. It's not a random act. You have to have a plan. You have to have a, a strategy. It's a journey. And it's really an evolution. So it was interesting when I interviewed at Tyco, um, a lot of the conversations just revolved around demand generation and supplying leads to the sales organization and how I've done that in the past. And it was, it was interesting because I had to interview with the CEO at the time and uh, his name was Mark Vandover. And Mark was, he was an interesting uh, gentleman. His daughter was a marketing major in college and she had taken an intern position at a marketing organization. So he knew enough about marketing to know that he needed something. And um, so his, his conversations with me really dovetailed into the whole demand generation in the sales organization. So little did I know that down the road, this knowledge of Mark's was going to become very, very instrumental in my career at Tyco. Yeah. So uh, at that point, you know, Tyco was in a really interesting, um, interesting period of time. They were, ADT was the big company and ADT and Tyco separated right after I joined. And ADT kept the consumer piece of the business, and Tyco really um, inherited, I'll say, the B2B piece of the business. At the time, B2B was virtually small mom-and-pop shops. It was a transactional-type business. Um, leads were very important. And the real stumbling block was that the systems that were used for demand generation um, really stayed on the ADT side of the business. So Tyco was split off, and we really were starting from scratch. Um, ADT had an agreement with Tyco that we would receive um, the leads for the B2B piece of the business for a limited period of time, and we'd have to pay for it. I mean, the cost per lead, I still remember, was $365 per lead. Wow. And the deal was that we would only have that opportunity for one year. So we knew very early that we needed to build some sort of a demand generation machine um, to really meet the revenue goals. And we also needed to figure out how to impact the enterprise piece of the business, which was a very new business for Tyco at the time. And I remember, Linda, when when we were first meeting and kicking off and you were kind of you know painting the picture of what was to come, and you talked about ADT, and I'm like, okay, I know ADT. I've seen those little blue signs out in front of countless numbers of people's homes uh, from, from a security standpoint, home security. And so you talk about the consumer side, but I didn't know Tyco. And even though Tyco was, I think at that time, multi-billion dollar uh, company, uh, 
I didn't know Tyco. I didn't know the brand. And, and you as a marketer, we've all been that point in our career where you come in and you're told one thing and then there's this, this, this pivot. You're going into a new market or launching a new product. Or in your case, your supply line of lead generation was about to go away and you guys had to figure out, hey, how are we going to take this over as an organization when it's not something we've done? We've, we've, not, we've not been the ones to go generate the leads. We're, we're procuring them, as you said, from, from ADT. So I, I remember that and I remember like, wow, we, we not only have to teach a company uh, how to do all this and digitally transform them, but we got to do it now. Otherwise, the revenue machine is going to come to a, a seizing, seizing halt. So what was, that, what was that like for you? And, and uh, what, what, were you, what were you thinking at that time in terms of what you had to do? Well, I knew, I knew it was going to be a long road ahead. And I knew we had Eloqua. And I knew we had a CRM system. So I thought, well, you know, that's, that's not a bad combination. We can, we can put things together and make things work. Well, our CRM was not Salesforce.com, as I had been used to. Nope. It was a, um, a Siebel-based CRM program. And Eloqua, while you know, Eloqua is a great product, they, the two did not connect at all. There was no integration between the two. So as I you know, looked around the organization, the more I, uh, more I discovered the little sort of, I'll say, the little hidden items that no one ever talked about, was that there was no integration. Eloqua was being used basically as an um, email uh, system. Uh, there, was no, there, there was no agreement with sales on terminology. There was really two totally separate systems being um, sort of put up at the time. And it was clear that IT was way too busy to help us with any sort of integration. We approached IT and so we need some APIs. We need these systems to talk to each other. We need them to be bi-directional. That's, that's our first, sort of our first thing mm-hmm. on, the, on the list of things we need to get done. And they were way, way too busy to um, help us. So on to what do we do from here? So we knew we needed to accomplish it quickly, as you said. And we, I'd really began to dig into the capabilities of the team I had inherited. It wasn't a big team. It was small. We had a lot of one-on-one meetings, really seeking the truth. You know, what were their skill sets? Were these people who were going to be able to sort of step up to the bar and understand demand generation and be assets? Or were they, you know, individuals that maybe there was a better place in the organization? Ironically, every single person is probably still there because they all stepped up to the, you know, they all stepped up to the plate. But, um, you know, after my assessment of the team and talking to the team, I was being really transparent with them of what we needed to do. And, you know, the advantage I had is I could show them what it could be. Right. Right. Because I had seen it before. Yeah. Um, so we interviewed, uh, actually we interviewed three uh, demand gen expert kind of companies and then decided on demand gen. Um, and I really, when I was going through that um, interviewing of, of firms, I brought the entire team in on the interviews because I felt as though they needed to buy in, right? You need buy-in from your team. Right. So I wanted them to understand that they were going to be a part of this process and that they would, you know, they were all going to have a place to do something. We just weren't sure what it was yet. So, you know, let's get the engagement moving. And Linda, when, when I asked you, because, you know, as the CEO of our company, I always want to know what it was or is that helped us win a piece of business. Because this was a sizable investment for you guys. If you remember the, the RFP, um, it, was, yep. it was a very sizable digital transformation 
Um, not quite seven figure, but way up there and an entire year worth of work. And so it was a, it was a very material project for us. And we met the team. And what you said to me is, which, which I have echoed to the team for a while is, you said one of the things, Dave, that was the biggest contributing factor is I need to sell this to leadership. And I feel most comfortable with your team um, putting them in front of the leadership team. You know, it was a trust issue. It was, you know, if, if everyone's created equal out there, if they are from a skills, knowing the tools and that type of stuff, who's going to help you as an agent of change, um, you know, lay out the business case and, and be held accountable to doing that. And it, it stuck with me. And so I've always thought about in terms of the people that I hire on my sales team and solution consultants, you know, would they be someone, uh, are they going to be someone that, that will meet Linda's checklist of you can put this in front of a C, person in front of a C-level executive and then have the confidence and trust that they're going to help them with their business? Because it was a major, major business decision for you. Anyway, thank you for sharing that with me because it's been a valuable lesson for me as I've ever continue to grow the company. Yeah, and, and I'll expand on that a little bit because that really was um, probably a, a huge reason why Demand Gen was chosen. Um, some of the other companies that came in, they came in with their, their principal, um, who their leader, you know, the founder of the company, and the other individuals who were more junior level who worked within them. And the entire conversation was really between you know, my team and the principal rather than a true conversation around the table. And when Demand Gen came in, the, the people you brought, David, were all experts in their area. And the conversation was so different um, that, you know, we actually had a conversation amongst everyone. Everyone had something to, of value to add to the conversation. My team was, as soon as Demand Gen left the room, they said, well, this is it. And you were the last ones to, um, to pitch, which is never the best no. position to be in. no. And they said, you know, the chemistry was there. And chemistry to me was really important because culture is so important. And we were a small marketing team, and we needed to really have faith in whoever that we hired to help us through this really long, long process we were about to go through. And my boss at the time, the VP of marketing and um, the CEO, you know, they were relying on me to really have a good presentation to them on why I wanted this, and it and it did hit around a million dollars when it was all said and done. Yeah. Why we were you know going to spend this much money, and I felt as though uh, that your team and yourself were going to be the ones that were going to be able to convince senior management and leadership team that you know this was the right team to partner with, and, and it did turn out that way. I mean, it really did turn out that way. And if you remember, every month we had to report to the CEO. Yeah where we were in the process, what we had accomplished, what we had spent, where we were going for the next 30 days, and what the benchmark was for the following 30 days, and what was the money that was going to be allocated. And it really was, um, it really was a team effort. And the demand gen team became a part of the marketing team, even as much as, um, you know, when we had uh, quarterly uh, review meetings out to the rest of the company, um, Demand Gen's name came up in a, you know, a lot of the presentation about marketing, about what we were doing uh, with this partnership and what we were going to accomplish. Well, thank you again for taking a, a bet on us. And I, re I, I remember at that point you said, hey, Dave, it's a big week for me. I, I got to put my PowerPoint uh, deck together and, and go, to the, go to your boss and the CEO and get, get things approved, which you did. And then the, and then the journey began. 
yeah, the journey did begin. And, um, you know, it's never, it's never a good position to be in to tell your CEO that what he's doing in an area of the business is just not working. So, um, you know, that was, that, that was a big challenge for us. And it, it actually worked out really well. And now, you know, the challenge was on, so to speak. Um, and when we really looked at the business together, we realized that probably what would serve us best was not to jump in right away and get going, to step back and say, let's do a gap analysis. Let's really understand what we don't have, what we need to create this demand generation environment, and let's be sure that we're doing things in a phase, right? That it's a process, that we're not randomly trying to do things. So, um, gosh, if I remember back, there were about eight or nine things that we said before we embark on this, we need to be sure that, you know, we understand what's needed. And one of you know, our very first thing is, as I mentioned earlier, were the APIs that connect Siebel CRM with Eloqua. Right. You know, they needed to be connected because we needed to understand data flow. We needed to have analysis. We needed to have metrics. Understand that, you know, my leadership team was very data-driven and we needed to be a data-driven marketing department. And so that integration had to be, had to be come about. We had over 2,000 salespeople out in the field. So understanding what was going on in CRM, as well as what we were doing with Eloqua, that connection had to be. And we also needed sales agreement. Um, and we worked very closely. We, we ended up having a little team of a salesperson, someone from sales ops and marketing individuals to really develop what the lead funnel definitions needed to be. So we needed to agree on attributes on what is a marketing qualified lead, what's a sales qualified lead, all of the definitions down the funnel. And we also needed some eloquent masters. And right now I didn't have any. I had, oh, I had a great, you know, great marketing automation system. And all we knew how to do at that point was run, you know, emails through it. The other thing we understood is that we needed to have a really an integrated approach to marketing. Um, marketing was doing a lot of one-offs and that just wasn't going to go. And, and, you know, so what we went from there is we said, okay, you know, let's, let's look at the buyer's journey. What is the buyer's journey all about? So we uh, created, you know, we had a whiteboard and we had a war room and we put the buyer's journey up on the board. And then we took all of our content and we allocated which content we thought was relevant for each, each stage of the buyer's journey. We understood where we had gaps and we knew we needed to create content. And then, you know, we knew the, we knew the other things we needed was scoring and nurturing and customer segmentation and all, all the things that marketing departments do. But I'm really glad we took the step back and did the gap analysis because it made it made the the journey much stronger. I mean, we really had all of the elements um, to make this thing successful. Yeah, it's it's. Um, hopefully, we'll get to talk about the the D3 methodology uh, in a little bit. But one of the things, as you know, that we've done with our D3 methodology is to provide an approach and a framework, if you will, of looking internally at your organization so that, um, and, and I'll, I'm continuing to make these tool sets available to everyone listening. So if you don't have it yet from me, feel free to reach out. But what Linda's you know, describing is, is in this outer ring of, of this methodology. You know, she looked at the people, she looked at technology, she looked at data, and she looked at her analytics and started there and said, you know, do I have what I need? Um, to be able to move forward. And you said, you know, marketing automation system, check. Uh, CRM system, well, 
kind of check, a little dated, but not okay that it's not integrated. And that certainly is not common these days. Most people have moved to cloud-based CRM systems that integrate with the leading marketing automation systems, but maybe those integrations are broken. The other thing that I remember telling you, which was important, maybe it was, again, a differentiator when you said, hey, I got to do an assessment and our team was going to work together. I'm like, just know that our approach is not going to be to charge you a ton of money as a lot of large consulting firms can do to spend a whole bunch of money to have you like pay by the pound like here's your 130 page assessment of what needs to get done like no one's got time for that we've got to move quickly and and that assessment that you did was really around do i have the people mm I can train them. You you felt very confident in the team of being trainable, but they just didn't have the expertise. And you coming from Citrix knew some of the major building blocks that you wanted to put in place. And you said, hey, now that I've got the technology, need to do it. I think the biggest concern and gap that we had is, are we going to generate the lead volume that's needed once the valve gets turned off from, from ADT? And we know how that story ends and it was successful, but it was a, it was a scary time for everybody um, that you were, and, and it, was, it was credit to your leadership to say, guys, we can do this and we're going to get through it. I've done it, um, but here's what we need to do. And, and uh, it was, the, the, the journey moved and, and Mark and the CEOs you know, made the financial investment and believed in you and said, let's go ahead and, and do it. So your budget was, uh, was approved and, and off, off we went. Um, you talked about content. And I know you want to talk a little bit about some of the, the, the programs that you put in place and the scoring and other things. I remember when, I, when you were talking about content, you said to me, you know, Dave, a big part of our content challenge is we don't really have demand generation-centric content. And we talked more about that. It was more about the products and the feeds and speeds. And you didn't feel like the content that had been put together was really ready from a demand generation. You mentioned the funnel, right? The buyer's journey um, and people moving from like top of the funnel through their buying process. And you knew that the content really wasn't ready for that. And I, uh, I offered to come out and do a, a workshop on neuromarketing, which you took me up on and, and flew out and then taught your content marketing team uh, the knowledge that I had and applied to the work that I had done in my career on, you know, buyer centric content and in developing and applying neuromarketing principles to it. And it was really well received. It was a fun workshop, not something that we do with a lot of clients, but I felt like, you know, here's a place that I can lean in and provide my personal expertise uh, and help. And it w- was well received. And you guys became a, a content machine uh, after that and redid it, redid a lot. But let's go back to the, uh, the demand factory that you had to put mm-hmm. uh, in place and, Talk to me in terms of like, was that like alphabet soup for folks? And how did you get them to, uh, I know working with our group, but how did you get them to, to say, okay, this, this makes this sense, this, this structure? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, um, we, we were all learning along the way. And one of the things I did is I teamed up each team member with one of the experts, consulting experts on the demand gen team. And while I knew we were outsourcing our brain and we needed to do that for a while until we could teach our own people how to fish, um, you know, that, that, that's kind of what we did to learn the process. And the demand factory, um, really the concept of that was we built our system to really follow that methodology. So we built workflows for each stage. And I'll, I'll start at the beginning. Um, and we learned about, you know, where we got our contact. So all of the different channels of marketing, was it PPC, was it media, display, web, events, content syndication, this new content that was being developed. Um, And and once we had all of that content 
and we knew exactly where it needed to be in the buyer's journey, we, we then normalized the data. We had to be sure that the data was um, pure, that we didn't have duplication. So that was another piece of the factory, right? We go through, now we're cleansing the data, um, normalizing the data. And then, you know, scoring leads, you know, which leads went into recycle because they really were, you know, leads that were very early in the buyer's journey, which ones had went into a shorter, maybe a shorter um, lead nurture campaign versus a long drift campaign. Um, and then we, you know, we use the recycling and the syncing of the CRM system as part of the, as part of that factory. And then we determined what the qualified leads were based on the score. And those were sent out to the sales organization. So the whole process, we learned about the whole process that everyone is not, every lead is not the same. Every lead doesn't have the same attributes. And this demand factory gave us the capability of taking leads at certain stages and being able to have a path for them versus everyone having the same path, which was really the old way of marketing, right? I mean, you just had the leads go through the system, you gave them the sales and sales came back and I'll say nine out of 10 companies always come back and say to marketing, marketing, your leads are really worthless. Well, you know, we had enough, we had enough discipline built into that demand factory at this point that sales had already been a part of the process of defining the terminology for all of the lead stages. They had agreed on the attributes and the scoring. So when we got to a threshold of a certain number that they agreed that that was a lead that they could in fact follow up on. And they also had built into sort of their learning that, um, that, you know, the lead needed to be followed up on in a short period of time. So when they got the lead, there was more of a propensity for them to actually do something with them and then put that deposition of the lead back into the CRM system so we could get that closed loop. So now we knew if we were recycling leads going through the factory or if the leads were being closed or if they were being lost and they were dead leads. And we had a, we had a system to do something with every one of those leads as they came back. And in you know, a one area that, um, I forgot to mention, it's really all about the sales and marketing integration. I mean, we had sales leadership who really believed in what we were doing. Yeah, they, And they I think, as I said earlier in the conversation, I mean, that was one of the things I learned at Citrix. If sales and marketing aren't integrated on this process, it will never work. Because the other thing we measured um, was velocity. How, how long did it take for a salesperson to actually do something with the lead? And now with Eloqua and the CRM system being a lot more sophisticated as time went on, they were able to say, okay, territory XYZ, you know, sales manager, your guy, Mr. Smith, is taking four days to follow up on a lead. Or mm-hmm. He's not followed up on a lead. So now there was accountability. And you have to build accountability into the whole methodology for it to be effective and efficient. Yeah. When... Um when you guys are hearing this, I, again, strongly encourage you to do what Linda did and grab a copy of Manufacturing Demand, the, my book. And, and I say that, but I think you guys know, like I'm, I'm on the New York Times best giver list. So if you want a copy of it, you can download it at demandgen.com. Or if you want a physical copy, just reach out to me. And I've got an easy little system that I just log into and pass your uh, address and information into a system and out goes a book to you. And this demand factory that Linda's talking about was the metaphor that I introduced in that book. And I, and I, and I said, as you remember, like, think of 
demand generation as a factory process. And think of each of these stages at the funnel as like inventory bins. So your raw materials are the leads that you generate. And I mean that truly as like raw materials leads. They're not qualified. They're just hand raisers. So they come in and then what should you do with them? Well, status them, call them something, give them a name, whether that's an inquiry or a prospect, whatever, label it. And so it's a place in inventory in your systems. And then when they score high enough through your nurturing efforts or other engagement, then status them as a marketing qualified lead. And that, as Linda said, had total alignment and integration with sales to say, if we move a lead to this process, which means they have a certain level of fit and engagement, then will you guys commit to doing the following type of sequences and engagement so that we, not a baton passing as I've talked about, but an actual integration of still working together to move them through a buying process. And, and Linda operationalized this with the team. And as I said, in the manufacturing process, it's kind of like the opposite of the real world, where when you manufacture a finished good in the physical world, 95% of the materials that you put into the process come out as a finished good. But in demand generation, only about 5% best in class. You know, so leads that you generate at the top of the funnel, those raw materials, only 5% come out um, to be closed one, and 95% need to be either recycled or disqualified. And all of this was put down in documentation, in a blueprint. And as Linda said, she worked with IT, she worked with my group, she worked with the sales ops folks and, and the marketing ops folks, and we operationalized this entire model and structure. And that was the, the key to um, being very efficient. Uh, and, and there were other factors, which maybe we'll get into in terms of the analytics and knowing what campaign's working and what sources work, because that was important because they hadn't been the source of leads before. But then something very big happened, right, which, uh, which you guys got acquired by Johnson uh, Controls. And that was, um, you know, and I've seen this so many times, Linda, where a team like yours puts together this infrastructure, puts together these processes, and, and really, you know, it was a showcase. In fact, we, we submitted you guys for awards that year for the work that you guys had done. And now you're acquired by a company and you almost have to do the whole selling to management all over again, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, it was a surprise to all of us. Um, and it was actually, you know, whoever put the merger together was a genius because it was a match made in heaven, right? Johnson Controls owns the HVAC piece of the business for the big infrastructure of big arenas and, you know, big um, office complexes, et cetera. And when you're building something like that, what do you need? You need fire and security, which Tyco had. You need air conditioning. You need heating. You need um, all of the, you know, all of the software to connect everything together. So while we were excited, um, they were uh, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, we were all wondering, gee, you know, what is this going to be for the future of us? And the first reaction was, for them to centralize marketing and demand generation in Milwaukee, where they were headquartered. And we knew we had something really special, Boca Raton. We had worked, oh, now, now, we're, now we're probably two years into it. We've worked to this well-oiled machine that's really working. I now have four Eloqua Masters on site. You know, we, like I said in the beginning, we paired up with consultants and we learned what we needed to learn. Now I had a business intelligence person who was really crunching the data and getting us some really good trends and analysis. We had really, you know, 
the the website was our marketing machine from incoming, and we were really able to we were able to watch people's digital body language. We had really come a long way. So we all sat there and thought, gee, what is our future all is all about? So through many meetings, um, going to Milwaukee, showcasing the team. Um, bringing some of the major players out to really help them understand how we were doing demand generation. Um, not only were we able to continue our demand generation for fire and security out of the Boca Raton facility, but we were then chartered with taking the HVAC piece of the business and teaching them how to do demand generation through our system. So now we're responsible for all of North America marketing for Johnson control all of their products from the North American perspective. So the team was pretty happy and we, we were up for the challenge and uh, we, you know, it took, it took, we came a long way and we were able to prove our worth um, at a very critical time. And all of the foundational work that was done by this team and the demand gen team became the new model for Johnson controls to adapt. Um, and at this point, Johnson controls North American marketing team, you know, they're still in Boca Raton. They're still driving this methodology and this um, sort, sort of this journey for the entire company, for now a $26 billion company. Yeah, no, it never ends. That's one of the things that, that uh, we've all learned by doing this, that there, it, we call it a journey because it, it never ends. It's not like it's, uh, it's not like this where you start here and they stop here. Marketing's a continuing system and, and uh, certainly the CRM systems and other tools have changed. But I was really proud of you guys. You're not alone. Um, you know, uh, Kate Federer and Scott Burns over at CenturyLink, they've gone through the same thing and, and many other folks that I've had on the podcast and certainly of our clients have gone through this getting acquired by another company. There's so much mergers and consolidation. And Johnson Controls, uh, you know, $26 billion company, acquires you guys, like you said, match made in heaven. But you didn't want to lose control and lose the momentum that you guys had put together. And I see countless times again that those marketing teams that have these core competencies and know how to do high performance demand generation and, and understand digital transformation, they're the team that leads uh, the effort um, doing that. And I have another client of ours that I spoke, spoke with their CMO yesterday, another you know, twenty billion dollar company. CMO was telling me that they're moving all their business to the cloud, and that their legacy business, which is billions and billions of dollars, all has to shift over. So they're working with us to make sure that we take that legacy business and bring them into their cloud products. And that CMO and and the folks that we're working with all themselves came through an acquisition, Linda. So again, um, your marketer's expertise these days and and the knowledge of having been there, done that is incredibly valued. And certainly by sales organizations, right? When sales organizations think of marketing, do they think of your type of marketing department, Linda? Or do they think of the traditional kind of arts and crafts department, throwing leads over the fence, right? There, there's folks like you that have forever changed the brand of marketing within uh, organizations. Um, let's, let's get to that, that, that second phase of the journey now, which, um, again, I know that you, uh, departed not too long ago to take a chief marketing officer role yourself, which is great. And, and you still maintain a uh, tight relationship with the team there at Johnson Controls. Uh, but what, what was that phase of the journey like now being part of Johnson and, and, um, maybe some of the, if you can talk about some of like the campaigns and tool sets that became, mm -hmm. you know, just table stakes for you guys. Yeah, well, 
um, you know, we, we became best practices in many areas. And, um, you know, Johnson Controls is from a, you know, they're a global company. So now a lot of this methodology is being developed from a, for global um, companies, which they're doing out of Milwaukee. Um, so, uh, Johnson, so the team I have is still responsible for North America. But, you know, now, so now where do we go from here, right? So we said, okay, we built this machine and any successful campaign, right? Uh, this is cliche, right? Delivering the right message to the right audience at the right time and targeting and optimization uh, tactics and strategies really became important to us. So now how do we make it better? How do we, how do we really build on what we had and uh, grow it? Because now we have a bigger audience that we're trying to, um, we're, we're trying to, I guess, address. So we looked at the marketing stack and we said, okay, what are we missing? What do we need to add? How do we need to start building this model out even more? And um, we use a couple of we use a couple of say companies programs mm-hmm. um, methodologies for our targeting and optimization. We use Google AdWords for our email list targeting across search and display and remarketing. Um, adaptive intelligence for IP targeting to improve the accuracy and scale while while really kind of reducing the wasted impressions. Lead Crunch, great partner. Um, lead generation from assets targeted to existing database and lookalike audiences. Uh, they've incorporated some of that. Eloqua still for scheduling of email. Um, MRP for targeting accounts based on behavioral intent. So it's getting a lot more sophisticated now. Uh, company website is still extremely important for promotions. Um, and then Eloqua. Eloqua has been a really good tool um, for automated email programs and lead scoring, and we continue to use that. And, you know, the company continues to use a lot of the measurement tools, right, from a data-driven mm-hmm. um, prospecting, um, Eloqua, Google Analytics, and now Salesforce.com has come into play and been incorporated um, as part of the CRM system, which makes life a lot easier to really um, measure, measure the overall lead performance, the campaign activities, um, engagement, account penetration, which is very important. Um, for uh, a company like Johnson Controls is going deeper cross-selling and upselling within accounts, uh, pipeline, segmentation, um, and finally being able to do closed loop, really understanding what marketing campaigns are driving revenue. And uh, Johnson Controls marketing team has been able to really get to the point of understanding how much revenue can be driven by the amount of marketing programs through specific channels. So it's come a long way. It's come a long way, and um, it's been a it's been a fascinating journey to just watch it all evolve. Yeah. Well, again, kudos to you and the team. And ne- metrics matter. You guys had um, in the very first year alone, you guys had almost a twenty five percent lift in the marketing qualified lead generation. You guys had almost a twenty five percent lift in sales qualified leads. Uh, and th- those are big double digit numbers, big impact. Um, even you guys uh, increased the uh, lead to appointment ratio by 10%. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody does waterfall math and, and you can put that type of impact at the top of the funnel, it is you know, orders and orders of magnitude, exponential growth leading to revenue. So I always say like when it comes to our, our D3 methodology, which I'll come back to in a minute, you know, demand creation, demand management, if you just improve those areas, uh, you are going to make significant contributions to revenue growth and maximize revenue in your organization. And if you have an install base, 
like Tyco and now Johnson Control has, and you market to your install base, the lift that you can create there, what we call demand expansion, is significant. And so, uh, you know, you guys, you guys have a phenomenal story to tell, and that's why when you and I caught up recently, I'm like, you know, we've never told that that story, Linda. We've never we've never taken our journey uh, together and, and brought onto the podcast. So, thank you for joining me uh, to do that. Before we wrap up, I do want to make sure that I mention to you guys. So I, I said on, I don't know, I feel like it was like 12, 15 podcasts ago, whatever it was, I said I'm working on this D3 methodology, meaning working on the new visuals for it. And I am pleased to say that I am finally done with them. And when I say I'm done with them, what I wanted to do with the D3 methodology for all of you, folks like Linda, marketing leaders, demand generation leaders, heads of marketing, I wanted to create a tool set for you that you could use like Linda to explain to your executive team and your marketing teams what marketing is working on, what your gaps are, what initiatives you need to take, uh, and how to maximize revenue, what, what's needed in, uh, as Linda said, what's needed in some of the core areas, data, people, analytics, technology, and then these three areas of, of maximizing revenue, demand creation, demand expansion, and demand management in the middle. So I've created that. We, we, we went to an agency ourselves and, and said, look, I want to create visuals that look amazing so that our clients and folks out there that are leading marketing can use these tools to explain what it is they need to do and what it is they've accomplished. So they are done. They are ready for you. And I will uh, be working with our marketing team to get them up on our website and our resources area. Until then, which I don't know when you will hear this podcast, it should be soon. Again, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find, David Lewis. You can search Google, David Lewis Marketing, and find me. Uh, and you certainly know where to find me on the podcast. So folks like you, Linda, have inspired me to keep lifting up our tool sets. Because at the end of the day, if I can make your jobs easier, explaining what needs to get done and, and how you're accomplishing that, uh, that's, that's what it's all about. How do you feel about the success uh, that you've had from a personal perspective? I think, yeah, I've, I've been very proud of it. And I've been, like I said, I've been happy to take this journey. I didn't know where it was going to end. And just to be able to see, you know, what we've been able to accomplish over a short period of time has been very satisfactory for me. And, you know, I look forward to helping other companies uh, take the same journey with the same results. I'm glad you offer that because uh, Linda Howry, uh, let me spell Linda's last name for you, which is H-A-U-R-Y. Great person to have in your network. It's one of the things I like to do on these podcasts is, is introduce you to the people that I feel that have tremendous expertise and resources um, to help you on your journey. So I know Linda would love to share more details and answer your questions. So definitely connect with her. Linda, this is, this, we can go anywhere with this, this open-ended question, but I would like to ask you, because you've now done this at Citrix and you've done this at Johnson Controls, um, what advice would you give to yourself? Because you did so much right from internal selling and expectation setting and getting the resources and getting uh, integration with sales. Um, you know, I, I can't think of things that I would say, this is my advice to you that you should have done differently. And I'm wondering if you feel that there was a learning lesson or two or just, hey, make sure you do X, Y, and Z. What would you tell Linda uh, these days or advise, uh, you know, if you, if you move to another company these days, what, what would you do again or differently? Yeah, well, well my, my advice, and I, think, I think we did it. And, um, but I think it was a learning experience too, to really plan the journey. Step back, look at what you have, 
and understand where you want to go before you put your foot on the gas. Because so many times I think people are, are very um, anxious to start executing. And what I've learned and what I take away from this journey that I took with Johnson Controls and Tyco is that sometimes it's okay to step back from what you're doing and really analyze and, and get the right path forward. And I think you go, you go forward much stronger. Proud of you. Proud of the team. Proud of Mia, the whole crew. It's absolutely an honor that we are still working together after six years. You know, you kind of wonder, though, what's next? What's next? What can we do? And you guys are never afraid to level things up and, and keep pushing, which, which is great. Um, I'll wrap up by saying, again, to all of you, I know these are really scary and uncertain times. Uh, I, f- I remember the podcast that I did in January where I said to all of you, be prepared. The financial markets cannot continue on this trend. Now, of course, I didn't know that COVID-19 would be the thing that has such an impact on the world and the economy. But now is the time, just as Linda did and has done, now is the time to defend your budget and to work on the initiatives and programs that you need to do to keep getting your company moving forward and to be prepared for when this subsides. And it will. And and I think we are starting to flatten the curve and get on the back side of this. So I know a lot of you have had um, some forced furloughs. You've had some layoffs. You've had budget cuts. You've had stuff that is thrown at you that you will forever remember in your career, just like the stories that Linda and I are telling. These are difficult times, but you can do it and you can get through it. And marketing is the essential department that is going to help companies get back on their feet, whether that's a mom and pop store down the street that has to get the word out that they're reopened or your organization that needs to hit the ground running and do it. So if you need help, reach out to me and my team. If you want advice and guidance, reach out to Linda and ask her what she would do in the situation that you are in and get the support that you need because, hey, none of us are smarter than all of us, right? So that's why we do this. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on this episode of Dimension Radio. Thank you, Linda, for telling a story that we are long overdue to tell. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, David, for having me. All right. We'll catch all you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.